Welcome to Fertile Minds Radio. Here you'll find wisdom for your fertility journey and beyond, chosen specifically to help you trust your body and elevate your spirit so you can enjoy the process. Join us and see what a fertile mind feels like. Now your host, Hilary Talbot Rowland. You're listening to episode 23 on Fertile Minds Radio, what your BBTs or basal body temperatures can and can't tell you about your fertility. I'm your host, Hilary Talbot Rowland. Today's episode is sponsored by Jade Ashanga Retreats. If you want to immerse yourself in health and adventure this summer, join me and my beloved yoga teacher, Jade Skinner, on a European retreat. There are two chances to reset and restore with us this July. We are offering an adventure trek through the Pyrenees Mountains, complete with daily restorative yoga and meditation, July 15th through 20th, and a restorative deep dive retreat on a special island 30 minutes outside of Stockholm, Sweden, July 26th to 30th. Sign up between now and June 1st, 2018, and receive a one-on-one fertility coaching session with yours truly. You can find more details on the ladypotions.com homepage. Now on with the show. Today's topic I could do multiple shows about, so I am going to attempt to condense it into a super educated, easy to understand version of why you should take your temperatures, why it's so important if you're working with a TCM practitioner, and how to not get totally stressed out over it. I want you to feel confident interpreting it by the time that you're done listening to this, and I want you to feel motivated to take your own temps and then bring them to a healthcare practitioner if you don't have success on your own. When it comes to tracking BBTs or what is known as basal body temperatures, which throughout the show I'm going to refer to them as BBTs, I've had two main teachers, Jane Littleton, who is a fabulous acupuncturist and fertility specialist down under, and Kirsten Karchmer of Conceivable, which is an herbal company that I use in my practice. And she is one of the most data-driven women in our field that I've ever met. She has analyzed over, I think, something like 10,000 BBTs to better understand what she was seeing and actually completed an algorithm to help with charting and her conceivable app. So that's something that we'll talk about as the show goes on. But those were the two main women that I just wanted to pay some homage to because without them, I would be just as in the dark as you are when it comes to interpreting your basal body temperatures. Many times when a patient comes to my office and they've done BBTs in the past, they're kind of fed up with it because they think that it stressed them out or they had no idea how to read it and they didn't find it useful. So why do something in the morning when you're tired if it's not useful? Or they took it to an MD like an OBGYN or a reproductive endocrinologist who kind of poo-pooed it or dismissed it and said, well, that won't tell you anything. And that is not true. This is a method that has been used for quite some time now and is actually really great at pointing out nuances in the cycle that are kind of imbalanced as well as being a really great way to not use protection. If you're not trying to get pregnant, charting your temperatures is a what is known as the fertility awareness method um, has been taught by the Catholic Church for many, many years. So we're going to go into those differences and what it means when you hear the calendar method, the temperature method, cervical mucus, and how to use them all together. 
If you think you might want to work with an acupuncturist or an herbalist to conceive naturally at any point down the road, these charts can save boatloads of time when it comes to diagnosing patterning imbalances in Chinese medicine. When a woman walks into my office with three to six months of charts, either on paper or in an app, I know in all likelihood she's just sped up her chances of conceiving with Chinese medicine. And when a woman continues her tracking, it tells me how and when to fine-tune her herbs when I'm working with her. It tells me how to recommend lifestyle and diet adjustments, and even when there is a greater chance of miscarriage after a positive pregnancy test. And I will go into that in just a bit, I promise. This gives many women increased peace of mind that they are able to keep an eye on the miracle that is unfolding within them without having any invasive treatments like unnecessary ultrasounds, especially in the beginning of a delicate pregnancy. Now, if you have miscarried before or it's taken you a really long time to get pregnant, those first few weeks of conceiving can be really overwhelming. It can feel like every movement or stressor that happens, you wonder if it's affecting you and the baby and can kind of put you in a state of constant fight or flight. Now, if you're temping and you can accurately see every morning that your temp is staying elevated above 98.2 in those first few weeks, it gives you the confidence starting out each day that your developing embryo is safe and sound. The other positive reason I recommend charting your temps is that it can be greatly empowering to understand what is having an effect on your body, like alcohol, caffeine, or even certain foods. I am totally guilty of this. Okay, full disclosure, I have a love affair with espresso. My grandmother started diluting coffee, and instead of having tea time with me at the age of four, we would have coffee together and watch the golfers when I was little. I love the smell of coffee. I've quit it so many times. It's not only a stimulant and highly addictive and lets me get stuff done, but it's also a romantic, familiar smell to me. So I hate giving it up. But when I see what it does to my basal body temperatures and I can see the spikes in my temperature and the inflammation that it's creating and the cortisol response and all probability that's happening as a result, that gave me pause. So I do still have one shot of espresso most mornings, right? Even despite that. Now, my disclaimer to that is that I am not trying to conceive. However, if I'm running really hot or if I'm seeing some crazy spikes in my temperature, it gives me pause on whether or not I should switch into tea that day. Um, And yes, I still track my temperatures, even though I am not trying to get pregnant. (laughs) I use it as a form of birth control. A lot of times women will ask me, can I keep having wine, especially when they're undergoing like an IVF cycle, they'll ask me what the cutoff is as to when they should stop having wine. And if you've ever charted temperatures, you can see that alcohol typically raises your temperature an entire degree. It is that inflammatory and that heating. Spirits, meaning alcohol like vodka, gin, whiskey, those are going to be your hottest. Beer is going to be your second warmest and wine is going to be the least warming. But even I notice that wine raises my temperature almost a full degree almost every morning when I have even just one to two glasses. So This is what I mean by it improves your overall fertility awareness by helping you to understand what you're putting in your body and how it's affecting you internally. 
when you combine this calendar method with the temperature method and you go a step further and you actually start tracking your cervical mucus as well, you enter into what is called the symptothermal method. And this can tell you the most about what's happening in your body because you have positive signs from more than just one piece of data. So when you use the calendar rhythm method, this is when you use past menstrual cycles to estimate the time of your ovulation. When used on its own, it can be the least reliable method of birth control. And this is because your ovulatory window and your cycle length can change. And it can absolutely be not useful at all if your cycles are less than 26 days or longer than 32 days. Now with the temperature method, you track your basal body temperature every morning, and I'm about to go into exactly how to do that. And you do that for several cycles using a sensitive basal thermometer before you get out of bed each morning. Due to hormonal surges, your basal body temperature is going to go right up after ovulation, about half to a whole degree. And that's what makes it a biphasic chart if you've read that in the literature. And I'm going to go into even more detail about what to look for in those temps. Now, with the cervical mucus method, you track the color, thickness, and the texture of your cervical mucus to monitor fertility. Your cervical mucus becomes thinner and slippery and stretchier as you ovulate, and this takes a little bit of tracking to get used to, but when you combine it with the calendar and the temps, you get a really clear understanding if you're ovulating and when each month, and then you can start to plan a little bit better because you're actually more fertile two days prior to ovulation. So you can see where you would run into problems of peeing on ovulation sticks to dictate when you should try because that only gives you about a 12 to a 24 hour window if you hit that stick correctly and if you have the type of luteinizing hormone or the type of antigen because there are several in human beings that is actually being measured on that particular OPK strip. So that's why they don't always work for women. This is why I always come back to using basal body temperatures and cervical mucus. So let's cover how to take your basal body temperature because I do hear a lot of myths when it comes to this and a lot of reasons as to why I can and can't do it. When patients are explaining to me why they stopped or why they never did it in the first place, it seems pretty simple, right? Just take your temperature every morning, but I'm just going to rectify. So if you are a beginner or if you are not a beginner, please forgive me because you already know this, but if you're a newbie out there listening, then I want to go over this. You want to take your temperature first thing upon waking up before any other activity, before going to the bathroom, talking on the phone, having a heated discussion with your partner, or even relations. That's certainly going to make your temperature rise, right? The only thing that you get a pass on or exception to do before your basal body temperature is 16 seconds of focused breathing. And if you listened to last week's episode, you know exactly what I'm talking about and why. The reason for that is that what we're exposed to and the first few minutes of our day sets the tone and the fractal for our mood for the next eight hours. Now, if you think that it's going to stress you out at all, I want you to just take 16 seconds to observe your breath, set your intention, and then take your temperature and then meditate afterwards. If you are setting up a habit, a new habit of basal body temping, why not add the habit of adding meditation afterwards. So if you missed last week's episode, I encourage you to go back and have a listen at ladypotions.com backslash episode 22. 
Now, if you're using a digital thermometer, wait until it beeps, usually about 30 seconds. And if you're using a glass thermometer, you're going to want to leave it in for five minutes. So this can take a little bit longer if that's all that you have access to. Now, here in the U.S., where things are not always produced to last, shall we say, there are a lot of faulty batteries out there. So if you take your temperature when you first purchase one, or maybe you have one in your drawer that's been there a while, and you get a funky reading, test it out. Test it out on your partner. And if it tells you that it's 95 degrees, clearly there's something wrong with the battery. Now, if you're about to go out and buy a new basal body temperature, my suggestion is to keep the receipt. Oftentimes they come with a warranty. Just pin that bad boy on your fridge because if it starts to go funky, you can take it right back and exchange it. And it should be relatively low cost, no more than $10 for these. You don't have to go crazy and get the neato pink ones. You just want to make sure that it's got two decimal points after it for accuracy. You can take your temperature orally or vaginally, but it always has to be in the same place because you're going to get different temps. You can also take a skin reading temperature if you have a wearable piece of tech, which I'll go into at the end. Now, each part of your body has a consistency and temperature that's different than the other. So you have to pick one and stay with one. My preference is actually the skin temperature, but if you don't have access to wearable tech, then my second preference is oral because it's usually done in 30 seconds. Now, as I said, you want to try and Take the temperature when you first wake up before anything else, and you want to try and take it around the same time each day. Now, this is something that is a big, I can't take it because if you wake up at different times, say in the weekends, you sleep in for three hours, or you have two days a week where you have to be up super early. Yes, there might be some variance because as the sun rises, it does affect your temperature. So my suggestion is not to set an alarm every day at five o'clock, but if you happen to naturally wake up early because of these other days when you're getting up, just lean over, take the temperature, scribble it down and go back to bed. If you were to sleep in and you didn't wake up and you had a glorious night of sleep, awesome. That rest is way more important than getting your temperature every single day. Just make a little note on your chart or your app that you slept in that day. So if it looks a little higher, we know it's not a false high. The other rule is that before taking your temperature, you must have had a minimum of three hours of consecutive sleep. So if you did some shift work and you were out working that night in the evening, it's not gonna be accurate the next day. Some of my favorite things to do when charting a temperature is to use an app because I am a data junkie. I like to see that stuff instantly graphed out. I love the apps Fertility Friend, Conceivable, and Glow. Those are just my personal favorites that I've used and that I seem to get good feedback from on my patients. Now, there are tons more out there. I think you can even get one on an iPhone now, I period. Uh, and I'll have some links in the show notes to others that are available because if you don't like the interface and you don't understand what it's telling you, you're not going to use it. Which brings me to the next method, paper. Good old-fashioned pencil and paper. Now, if you are completely stressed out, paper is for you. Just scribble it on there with the day of your cycle, and that's all you need to do. Forget about it after that. You don't need any information coming at you from the app telling you what's happening in your body and starting your day out like that. They mean well. They want to educate you, but if that's the first thing that you're seeing um, when you wake up and then therefore your whole day is surrounded by thinking about fertility, the apps might not be for you or you might want to take it, write it down, meditate, and then put it in your app. 
If you happen to be using a glass thermometer, always take the lowest temperature if it falls in between two numbers and you can't quite see the lines in between. If you are going old school and you are gridding it on a graph of your own, then you just connect the dots with a straight line. And you always wanna note high stress days, illness, because fever can certainly affect your temperature. You also wanna note if you've had any super spicy food or alcohol or excess amounts of caffeine, because that's gonna show you too exactly how those are affecting you. Like I said, we're not just looking at the temperature and trying to pin down the day you ovulate. We're trying to look at your fertile window. We're trying to look at all of the signs of your body of how it's being affected by your external and your internal environment. So let's cover now what BBT tracking can and can't do. Okay, so obviously it cannot tell you anything about your partner's fertility. Sperm analysis and blood work can tell you about your partner's fertility, but not a BBT. So if you're charting away and you have perfect charts that look like you should be getting pregnant every month, this is an indicator that your partner must be tested. It's not great for predicting ovulation either because your fertile window is a six-day window, okay? And five of those happen prior to the temperature change that make it that biphasic cycle. So after you get a few of these, you can safely discern, okay, out of the last six months, I have ovulated on day 13 or 14. That lets you know that your optimal days of fertility are probably 11, 12, 13. Now, it's not for sure as this can change, and that's one of the advantages to using wearable tech because as your pieces of data change, your ovulatory window changes too, even before that ovulation hits. Now, one of the things that I hear a lot is that I can't get every single day, so I'm not going to do that. Hello, perfectionist. I understand, but you don't have to get every single day, right? As a practitioner, I'm actually looking for the average of the temperatures in the follicular phase as well as the average in the temperatures of luteal phase. I suggest doing this for three months or one season. It takes about one season of tracking and making positive changes with herbal supplements, acupressure, acupuncture to actually increase the chances of fertility by 50%. So this is kind of a longer method, right? And this is why I advocate actually charting well before you want to go see somebody because anybody that's a fertility specialist in Chinese medicine will certainly want to see your charts. And then when you start with them, you want to continue tracking because this allows us to really fine tune your herbs and your lifestyle suggestions. The other reason that you would want to do it and what it can do for you is it can help you reinforce your successes, like showing you probable ovulation. It can show you how your temperatures have changed month to month, making more of a biphasic cycle or temperatures increasing where they were low or decreasing where they were high or stabilizing if they were really erratic. When the temperatures are super erratic, and go up, down, up, down, especially in the luteal phase or the second half of the phase, that tells me that stress is actually one of the biggest culprits or challenges to the woman's fertility. So that's one thing that I'm always looking for. And yes, you need to track most days in order to see that kind of jagged pattern, but it's something that's super recognizable the moment that you see it. 
So let's backtrack for a second and understand the basics of a biphasic chart for any of those newbies that are listening. Your temperature may or may not drop when you start menstruating. So day one of your cycle is considered the first morning of full flow, okay? Not spotting, the first morning of full flow. Because menses is an inflammatory state, it may remain a little elevated and slowly go down during the period. And this is okay, but this also tells us about your state of inflammation or blood stasis in Chinese medicine. Then during what's known as the follicular phase, so about day four until you ovulate, which hopefully is around day 14 of your cycle, we want your Fahrenheit temperatures to be around 97.2. If they're higher than that, it starts to indicate that the cervical mucus will probably be dry instead of stretchy. Like when the follicular temperatures actually get around 97.8, I can almost guarantee that cervical mucus is gummy instead of stretchy. And when it gets over 98 degrees, it equals a high FSH or a high follicle stimulating hormone which if you listened to the lab values episode, which I believe was episode 18, you understand that follicle stimulating hormone kind of points us in the direction of the quality of your eggs. So this makes a lot of sense. If we see really high temperatures in the follicular stage, then we start to think, okay, this is affecting homeostasis and could potentially be denaturing the DNA of the egg. And that could be a huge problem with egg quality, early ovulation, or repeated miscarriage. So 97.2 Fahrenheit is the sweet spot of the follicular temps. Now, the day before ovulation, we see it drop, the temp drop about half a degree, and then we see it shoot up the day of ovulation about a full degree. And we want to see that drop and then increase happen rather quickly. And we want to see the luteal phase, which is post-ovulation, so hopefully around day 15 until day one or If you're pregnant, you want it to stay elevated around 98.2. Okay, so we want to see about that degree change to really make it a biphasic chart. Now, if you're using skin temps, this could be about half a degree that we see that makes it biphasic. If temps are continually low under 97 degrees, it alerts me to low thyroid function and I want a complete blood panel, especially if there are co-committant signs like feeling cold all the time, hair loss, weight gain, low energy, or fatigue. And if you missed the episode on lab values, episode 18, go back and have a listen because this explains how important the thyroid is to fertility. And if you went to the show notes right after it aired and there weren't the links there as promised so that you could get blood tests anywhere within the US, I apologize. That was completely my fault. But all of the links are there now. So When we say that there's biphasic and we know that we want it to be around 97.2 in the follicular stage and we want it to be 98.2 in the luteal phase, we also want to see how long it takes to get there, okay? When the follicle is released, it has to have a temperature rise in order to provoke the corpus luteum to actually make enough progesterone to hold the pregnancy. And this has to happen within three days. So occasionally I'll see a chart where I see the temperature drop and then I see it start to raise and it's like the little engine that could and it takes four or five days to really get up to that 98.2. This shows me almost 
without a doubt that there's a problem with ovulation, that it needs to happen quicker. We actually need to invigorate the spleen chi to make that happen. I also see this being a huge problem and alerting me to progesterone being insufficient and that there needs to be uh, a supplement like Vitex or Chasberry employed if it goes along with the person's constitution in their blood work, or that the woman might be a candidate for progesterone inserts if she gets a positive test in order to hold that pregnancy. When you don't have a quick rise in temperatures and that luteal phase is sometimes short as a result if there's not enough progesterone and that cycle is around 26 days, this is one of the things that I think kind of goes undiagnosed around unexplained infertility. And that's because when a cycle length decreases to 26 days, the chances of conception are actually decreased by 50%. This can be modified. This can completely be changed with herbs, supplements, acupressure, and acupuncture in many cases. So don't lose hope if you're listening and you have one of those short cycles. It just tells us that more than likely the issue is in the luteal phase. We need that luteal phase to be at least 10 days in length post-ovulation for that embryo, if it is fertilized, to even have a chance of implanting and getting a secure foothold before the uterus starts to contract. Now, you may have heard earlier in the episode, I mentioned it could also help to prevent miscarriage. And this is something really awesome that Kirsten of Conceivable noticed when she looked at tens of thousands of charts on Fertility Friend and she looked at the data. And what they concluded was that when temps were in the 98.2 degree Fahrenheit in the luteal phase consistently for that month, the next cycle, not that cycle, the next cycle, your miscarriage chances drop from a 30% chance, which they are just in a normal human being, a normal woman who's healthy. Yes, we have a 30% chance of miscarriage. They drop to 5%. And this is something that they noticed when they compared all of their charts because they actually don't let their patients try and conceive until they see this chart so that they can avoid any miscarriage. So that's some, if you're trying to do this on your own, and you, especially if you've had repeated miscarriage and you don't want to go through the potential of that heartache again, this can be one of the most valuable pieces of information available to you. It's just a chart and wait until you get that luteal phase that's 10 to 14 days in length and has an average of 98.2 degrees. Now, when a woman gets pregnant and there's been a history of pregnancy loss, I actually have her keep charting. And the reason for this is that with each drop below 98.2 in those first couple weeks of pregnancy, her chances of miscarriage go up. If they've waited, if they've waited until they had that perfect chart before falling pregnant the next month, this usually doesn't happen. And so for them to be able to take their temperature every morning and see, okay, it's at 98.2 or above, they don't think about it as much through the rest of the day. At least that's what they've reported. They feel a sense of confidence that their body is doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing and holding this pregnancy. And they also know that if it drops below that, that they can call me or text me and say, hey, my temp just dropped. And they're usually in my office by that day and we're doing some sort of treatment to try and help bring that up. 
Your BBG charts can also tell you when there's a problem with ovulation. So if you don't see a biphasic chart, it can point to an issue with the ovaries actually releasing an egg. Or if it's super sawtooth, then it can point us in the direction of polycystic ovarian syndrome, especially when I see long cycles or cycles of varying temperatures that are kind of up and down all over the place, but never have a consistency between the follicle temps being one solid temp and the luteal phase being another. And that can be really helpful because if you do have PCOS, chances are that you have plenty of cervical mucus. And in fact, that's one of the things that's often misleading is that women think, oh, I have plenty of cervical mucus, therefore I must be ovulating. But then they start to take their temperatures and sometimes that shows a different story. So if you've had it in your family, if you've suspected you're not ovulating, you've had some insulin resistance issues or some problems with your blood sugar, whether that's hyperglycemia or hypo, so not eating and feeling hangry, that can cause it as well. Um, then I definitely want to encourage you to start charting your temperatures. You can see some examples of these charts on the show notes at ladypotions.com backslash episode 23. I promise they'll be up this time. So you can see exactly what I'm talking about. And I believe you can even search my fertility friend too for clear examples. So in the event that you know a little about Chinese medicine, or maybe you're curious about how we go about diagnosing, I'm going to go over some patterns that I see in basal body temperature and what our diagnosis is, and then how we fix that. And the reason for this is, you know, clearly if you're not a practitioner, it won't make a ton of sense, but I want you to understand just how many intricacies there are within the chart and what we can see and how we can then decide to change your herbs or change diet recommendations. And this is also something that if you notice, hey, I have one of those patterns she's talking about, then you can also hop over and take the TCM diagnosis test, um, which I provided that shows you and tells you what your diagnosis is so that it will then, then you have it in two places. You have your chart telling you, and then you have the symptom chart telling you the same thing. And then it also gives you food um, recommendations. So that was also in the diet episode. So if you didn't listen to that, you can go back and listen, but I'll provide the link to the test in this week's episode as well, because even if you don't want to do acupuncture or acupressure, you certainly could change your diet in ways that would support your basal body temperature. So when I see a long follicular phase, meaning I see longer than 14 days in the first half of someone's cycle, it tells me that their kidney jing, yin or blood is deficient and that I need to nourish that as soon as the period's over or maybe even before it's over. If you had one of these cycles where you're noticing that it's really long and longer than 14 days, it's taking you a while to ovulate then my dietary suggestion to that is actually liver or pate or hormone-free meats that are high in good fats, not bad fats, but good fats, and yin tonics. Now, if you had a short follicular phase, meaning that it was shorter than 14 days in that first half, that usually indicates there's an excess of heat that is provoking that ovulation to happen early. And we don't want it to happen early. We want it to happen around day 14 because that gives us the highest chance of 
correct DNA expression. Based on how long your cycle is, is where we want you to ovulate. So ideally, a perfect cycle is 28 to 29 days, and you ovulate in the middle at 14. Now, if your cycle is 30, and you ovulate at 15, that's normal, right? That's not technically a long follicular phase. If your cycle was 28 days and you ovulated at 16, that would be long. When we see that short follicular phase before 14, we know that we have to clear heat. So I know almost immediately that I need to ask questions about caffeine intake and alcohol, any spicy foods or high stress that could be causing that heat. Now, if I see an unstable follicular phase, meaning that the temperatures are kind of all over the place, they're 97.2 and then they're 98 and then they're back down to 97, that tells me that there's some liver or heart fire and that the main emphasis needs to be on calming the mind. Now, as I said earlier, if I see a short luteal phase, then I know that there could be some issues with progesterone. One of the things that we do besides employing Vitex or Chasberry is to supplement yin in the follicular phase in order to help make yang in the luteal phase. If we see what's called a sawtooth pattern in the luteal phase, where seemingly unstable and kind of all over the place, like that unstable or follicular, but it's happening in the back end, then we know that it's chi stagnation of liver and heart. We also need to cool any heat that's there if they're over 98.2. And the main prescription for that is mind-body practices. So yoga is perfect for this kind of pattern and particularly restorative yoga. Hot yoga is probably not the best idea if you've got some high temps there. Now, if I see what's called a saddle pattern in the luteal phase, where the temperature rises just after ovulation, but then it dips back down almost into like a horse saddle pattern, like a big U, then that tells me that there's not enough kidney yang, and then I need to reinforce that in the cycle, as well as potentially think about progesterone. We went over if there's a slow rise, the little engine that could, we need to be looking at the corpus luteum and getting you ovulating at the appropriate time for the halfway point of your cycle as quickly as possible and then supporting the yang throughout the luteal phase. And if there's an early decline, meaning in the luteal phase it's 98.2 and it's staying elevated but it drops a few days before the period begins, then we know that there's actually an issue with spleen chi as well as kidney yang chi. So we need to tonify the digestion as well as the reproductive energy of the kidneys in the luteal phase. And we do this with diet and acupuncture and herbs. Now, one of the reasons that you wouldn't want to temp is if you are taking progesterone supplements as it gives you false high. The other reason that you wouldn't want to temp is as if it completely stresses you out, okay? I mean, this is like you take your temperature and this is all you can think about is your fertility for the rest of the day and you're a mad woman. My first suggestion is to actually meditate after. Last week's episode, I created a meditation specifically for this and I created it with timestamps. It tells you at 5, 10, 15, and 20 minutes. So you can have a super short meditation on days where you just don't have enough time. And on days where you do, you can go a little bit longer. Okay. And it's just with the breath. It's super easy. And it's teaching you to use your breath to come into present moment. And when you do that at the start of your day, you're much less likely to have these temperatures actually entrance your mind into thinking about fertility because you've had what I call a pattern interrupt. You've decided what you want your day to be about. 
And you can use any type of meditation after this. It doesn't have to be mine. But I just wanted to let you know that that was available because it doesn't have to wreck your day. Now, if that's still too much for you, or if you travel a lot, so you're changing time zones constantly, or you aren't able to wake up at the same time most days due to life constraints, then I encourage you to check out today's affiliate sponsor, Ava Woman. It's this awesome piece of wearable technology, and I've been using it to track my cycles so that I know when I'm fertile and how to avoid conception because that's not my goal right now in life. And it's amazing. I, like As you know, I'm a little bit of a data junkie, but it shows you nine pieces of data, okay? It's pretty awesome. It looks like it looks like an iWatch sort of. Um, only my husband jokingly says that it looks like a butt. I think it looks like mitosis, like two cells dividing. But you know, male male humor is what it is. Um, and you put this on every night, and then when you wake up in the morning, you plug it into your charger, and you open up your smartphone, and you open up the app, and it syncs. You never even have to look at the data if you don't want to. So if you don't want to know what your temperatures are, and you just want to do this solely for your practitioner, and you're afraid it's going to stress you out, you never have to look at it, which is awesome. They've totally solved a problem here. It's been shown to detect an average of 5.3 fertile days per cycle at an 89% accuracy. It was clinically tested in a year-long study at the University Hospital of Zurich, and they have links on their site to all their scientific reports, and it's registered by the FDA. So as I said, it measures skin temperature. This is one of the main parameters that it uses because it wants to see a half a degree to a degree change post-ovulation. So the temperatures are going to be a little bit different on the skin than they are going to be in a basal body thermometer reading, okay? The average skin temperature readings are going to be between 90.5 and 98.2 degrees Fahrenheit, depending on where you are in your cycle. Now, if you are listening in a part of the world that uses Celsius, they're going to be between 32.5 and 36.8 degrees Celsius. So it also measures your resting pulse rate. So how often your heart beats um, per minute at rest. Sleep is a perfect time to do this. And the reason that they do this is because scientific literature shows that the resting pulse rate is lower during the follicular phase than in the luteal phase. Okay. So this is just another piece of data to show which phase you're in. In their experiments, they showed that the resting pulse rate rose by about 2.1 beats per minute at the beginning of the fertile window. During pregnancy, the resting pulse rate remains elevated. Typical resting rates are between 40 and 80 beats per minute. If you're physically active, your resting pulse rate might be even lower than 40 beats per minute. Stress, illness, and alcohol can cause temporary increases, just like it can affect your temperature, like I talked about earlier. Now, there's a huge gap, right? There's 40 to 80 beats per minute. But what I love about this is it's not just a clinical check the box of, oh, you ovulate and your beats per minute is this. It takes your average. So it's taking you into consideration. And then it's showing, oh, it's raised by 2.1. This must mean that we've ovulated. And that's an awesome thing because it's taking the individual into mind. It's also tracking this during pregnancy and helping to be one more piece of data that helps you to understand that your pregnancy is remaining strong. 
It also looks at breathing rate, so the rate of respiration per minute. And scientific literature shows that breathing rate is usually higher in the luteal phase than it is in the follicular phase. And this also varies a bit by 10 to 25 breaths per minute. What I love about looking at my breathing rate is for me, I know that my breath rate, my rates of respiration per minute is directly correlated to my stress. Okay. So if I start to notice that it's ticking up, especially if I'm not in my luteal phase, I know that my activities during that day have stressed me to the point of where it's coming out of my sleep. And I know that I need extra meditation, extra yoga, or maybe I need to go back and reevaluate some of those activities that I've done because it's actually affecting my physiology. It also looks at heart rate variability, okay? And the lower that your heart rate variability ratio is, the less stressed you are, okay? And this is the variation in the time interval from one heartbeat to the next, When there's a lot of variation in the time interval between heartbeats or a high HRV, it means that you are more resilient and less stress. Ava measures the ratio between low frequency and high frequency raves in your heartbeat. And because Ava is measuring heart rate variability using this ratio, a lower number means you're less stressed. So this can vary quite a bit between people because all of our hearts are definitely different. But when you have an idea of what yours are, you can see when there's an increase or a decrease in that ratio. And it can absolutely tell you about your stress, which I think is huge to understanding because at least the women that I come in contact with, they're high achievers. They're used to just managing their stress or it's become so common that they don't even think they're stressed. This can be kind of um, a flashlight on your life showing you just how stressed you are. It also looks at your sleep and it tells you about the amount of deep sleep or REM that you're getting and the quality and the quantity. Okay, so this is awesome because we know that sleep is imperative to fertility. Um, The most restful hours of sleep, by the way, are 9 to 11 p.m. when it comes to your fertility. So the earlier you can get into bed and start to wind down, the better for your uh, fertility. And the average sleep cycle for adults includes 50 to 65% light sleep and 35 to 50% deep sleep or REM. I've had fun with this looking at what my percentage of REM is versus how many crazy dreams I had and how rested I feel so that I can understand what REM really feels like. Some of the other things that I won't go into great detail that it measures is heat loss, bioimpedance, and movement and perfusion. And I think this is just one of the most awesome tech things that's ever come out because it takes the worry out. It computes everything for you. You never have to look at it if you don't want and it can predict your window. So rather than knowing, hey, I ovulate on day 13 or 14 and I'm going to be probably most fertile two days before, it can show you as soon as that five-day window starts within three months of wearing it, which is pretty freaking awesome. The downside is, is that it's not cheap. It sits around $250, which if you know anything about wearable tech, that's pretty average. It's less than the cost of an iWatch, um, but for a lot of people, that is a huge investment. So that's why I wanted to give you both ends. You can absolutely get good, usable data to help you understand your fertility with basal body temperatures for less than $10, good old pencil and paper. 
don't even have to have a smartphone to track that. I will put in a blank tracker in case you're one of those people, or you can get the high-end splurge if that's something that you need, or if you've been doing this a long time and you really don't understand what it's telling you, um, or you are someone that knows that you are going to worry throughout pregnancy and you want to use this to track throughout pregnancy, or maybe even down the road after you have a baby, you want to know when not to get pregnant, right? You want to avoid that like me. I'm including a link, a referral link for this, where you can get $30 off on your purchase, which is awesome. It's not the whole thing, but it does save you some money. So if you're interested in it, I encourage you to check it out. I love mine. I wear it every night. It's not a fuss. And I hope that you will try it and leave a comment in the blog notes and let me know what you think if you've tried it. So I know that was a lot of information for today. Hopefully it sheds some light on the importance of using your basal body temperatures as an indicator of your fertility, what it can and can't tell you, and even shed some light on what it is trying to tell you. Thank you for taking the time to learn more about your body and what you can do to conceive naturally. If this has been helpful, please leave a comment or share it with a friend. I look forward to speaking with you next week. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Fertile Minds Radio, hosted at www.ladyportions.com, where you'll find past episodes, show notes, and free meditations. If you've benefited from what you've heard, leave a comment or review so it makes it easier for others to find this valuable wisdom. Let's help elevate each other. Thanks for listening.